Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. I am so excited because today my guest is Beth Broderick, who you may know as Aunt Zelda from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Aunt Zelda. I I choose the most random times to say aunt versus aunt. Do you ever code switch when you're saying the word aunt or aunt, like around different people you pronounce it differently? Anyway, um... (laughs) Beth Broderick and I have a wonderful conversation about her experiences on set with Sabrina the Teenage Witch, as well as her experiences as an ally, advocate, and humanitarian helping out during the AIDS crisis in New York during the 1980s, being a founding member of an AIDS charity alliance. We are going to have so much fun talking today. I mean, we did. This is this is coming after the fact. It's it's a wonderful episode and you're going to love it. So buckle up, hunker down and sink your teeth into some brand new hijinks. M. Oh. M. Mom. everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by actress, advocate, and one of my favorite TV witches, Beth Broderick. Hi Beth. Hi Jinx. How are you today? <laughs> uh, very well, thank you. I had a nice long walk with my dog this morning, and you might hear her as we as we <laughs> carry on this conversation. I I love it. I love when like life goes on in the background <laughs> of these. It's one of my favorite aspects of this. Um, okay, so my listeners are going to know you first and foremost, most likely from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but you um, are are also in the cult classic that I know a lot of my listeners are going to know, Psycho Beach Party. Oh, and yeah. I want to start there <laughs> because before we get into the phenomenon that is Sabrina the Teenage Witch, let's talk about working with um, the living legend, Charles Bush, who wrote oh, Psycho Beach Party 
And then also that is a that is a stellar cast of people with a really insane script and a really <laughs> a really nutty premise, but you all just make it so fantastic. Um, really, really amazing performances. What was Psycho Beach Party like for you? Oh my God. It was so much fun. Number one, Charles and I have been friends for years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're very close and have been for a long, long time. And um, so it was wonderful to be on set with him. And and the director, Bob King, is dear, dear to my heart. And Lauren Ambrose, one of my favorite movie children of all time. Um, So it was really a lot of fun. And, you know, when you're making a movie like that, you just don't know what the hell it's going to turn out to be, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of loony. But, you know, my character was so much fun. I had so much fun playing her. She was such a maniac. And, <laughs> yeah, it was great. And um, that scene with Lars, the hilarious scene with the with the young man that I'm trying to seduce. I mean, just so yeah. crazy. Um, and I did another movie, uh, which you have to see, with Bob King called Bad, Bad Actress. <laughs> yes! So, um, long story short, um, Bob is a friend of a friend, and I uh, I was over at his house visiting one day, and I was talking about, he was talking about Bad Actress, and I immediately started going off about you, essentially, being like just one of my favorite TV actresses of my life, and just like how much I loved you, and and then he pulled out a, a cardboard cutout of you <laughs> from a promotion for Bad Actress, and um, I, I did a little photo shoot. Um, if I'd have to, I didn't pull it up for this because I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I didn't want to do the scrolling. It was so many years ago. But I like. I feel like I've been manifesting this um, Zoom conversation with you <laughs> for a good like eight years. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's I love that you know that movie. It's so ridiculous again, but but I find it both of those movies to be hilarious. But I you know, but our sense of humor is not shared by the entire world and I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's why it's a cult classic because, you know, I mean, a Psycho Beach Party especially, it's like there's so much uh first you can tell it was written by if not a drag queen by someone with fabulous taste. And then <laughs> and then because it's written by a queer person there's so many like easter like the scene you're talking about like there's moments in the movie that would be like gross and weird to anyone else but to to those in the know it's like oh i know what this is referencing i'm thinking about like your character her monologue about washing jock straps i was just like you can tell a drag queen wrote this <laughs> yeah for sure for sure but it, it it really is a fun movie and you know there was a an early performance by the fabulous amy adams in there and you know all kinds yes. of yes yeah, and it's it's um it's you know, I just love I just love period piece. <laughs> this is set in the 60s. I love a period piece about larger than life um circumstances. If I'm not mistaken, um you're also a, a stage actress as well. Yes, I, do. I, I think I remember <laughs> I remember um <clears throat> a picture of you on your Instagram in a snow white dress and I think you were doing a Chekhov play at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um uh yeah, so Sonia Vanya Masha and Spike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
what, where do you, do you find that there's, um, ways that you translate your, your, how do you adjust your performance when you're doing TV, film and stage? And I think specifically like sitcom TV, when, when you, when you're a theater actor, (laughs) what kind of stuff can you take from that live performance that like might feed into sitcom acting like you were doing on Sabrina, the teenage witch? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it applies, of course, you know, working in front of a camera is, is is very different and a three camera show is very different from a one camera show. Um, and the energy has to be sort of modulated because there are so many microphones around and such. So when I'm on stage, like I did a one woman show called bad dates in Chicago and I did it in Laguna and, you know, you're all by yourself trying to wrap your energy around, you know, 700,000 people. And that means a lot of vocal power and a lot of, and, you know, just, you just have to be energized within an inch of your life. Whereas in television, you know, it's a, it's a much more, it's a, it's, a, it's all about letting the camera in, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about, and I, I, and this is true of something I do before I go on stage as well. And definitely when I'm in doing movies and, and television, I, I always say, you know, close my eyes and say, dear God, please let me be undefended. Please let me be undefended. You know, mm-hmm. just let me be free. Let, let this audience in, let this camera in, let people into my soul because that's where the that's where the joy is that's where the Mm -hmm. juice is you know yeah um are you are you fully aware of like just how big a show sabrina the teenage witch is within the queer community and amongst drag queens and you know with the new sabrina series the chilling adventures i think it kind of just reminded everyone even though they're completely separate and different things it just reminded everyone oh god that show was so big a part of our adolescence you know Mm -hmm. and it was one of the shows tgif it was like revolving door with a different show every other season you know but sabrina the teenage witch endured because so i mean i think for me it wasn't just like the camp element the witchy element the like you know, there's queer elements like RuPaul being a guest uh, <laughs> as the magical hairstylist. But I think it also resonated with me, you know, being from a family where there were no men really around. My dad mm-hmm. wasn't around. So I was raised by a single mom and my aunt and my grandma. And I really resonated with the, you know, the two mom household that Hilda and Zelda provided to Sabrina. And I got to say lots of other friends, my age grew up in single mother households. And I think that that kind of like, you know, being raised by the women in your life uh, resonated with <laughs> the latchkey kids of the late nineties. You know? yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, and, um, I mean, I still have people that come up to me. I had a girl come up to me at this uh, recent convention, the 90s con. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for your listeners, it's where, it's a convention where people go and all of 
a lot of us stars from the 90s are there and you can take photos with us and chat with us and it's just really a lot of fun because we can see each other too because we all know each other for years and uh, this girl walks up and she said just so you know I'm an astrophysicist and that lady over there my best friend she's a nuclear physicist because we grew up watching you that's how fabulous is that? Then, like, you taught us that pretty girls can be scientists. And so we I just need to come and tell you that. And I was like, awesome. That's so great. Um, I mean, you taught me that I could be a witch. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, I just, I absolutely love that. I always say, like, when when the work that you already love to do can inspire, it's like the best added bonus. Because, you know, I didn't become an actor because I was like, I want to be an actor so that I can be the face of my community or an advocate. I, I want to be an actor because I love acting. Mm-hmm. But, like, when um, when I get to do extra things, you know, like when, you know, moments like that, when you hear, like, your your role you played in a sitcom in the 90s um, inspired people to do really incredible, really difficult things with their life. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely Melissa, amazing. Melissa's always sitting next to me, generally, even Melissa and Caroline. And mm. people come up to me, and for some reason, they just start crying. And Melissa's <laughs> like, why are they crying? I'm like, I don't know. They just cry. Like, they make people cry, but in a good way. <laughs> But like, <laughs> I had a couple come in to me last year and I saw them again this year. And the young man, he comes into my booth and he's trembling. He's such a wreck, super nervous. And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, I need your help with something. I need your help with something. I have to ask her. And I, and she loves you. Would you help me? And I was like, um, okay. So I tell my assistant, can you go get that woman and ask her to step into my booth? And the guy gets down on one knee and starts, uh, he starts crying. I start crying. Melissa's like, what's now? I'm like, I, it's not my fault. It's <laughs> over. Like they got engaged. We filmed the whole thing. It was so sweet. So really adorable. Oh, that's awesome. Do you think it's the role that you played in the show? You know, I had, I got to say, Caroline Rave was our last guest. And it's really exciting to have you as our next guest. And since I had Caroline on, um, she keeps texting me. I've got another person who wants to do it. <laughs> she had just seen you and the cast of Sabrina um, at a convention. It might have been 90s con. And then she was having me um, do a video for Brecken Meyer's kid. And I was just like, I I love this because <laughs> these are all these people I've known my whole life through your mm. work. And I had always, you know, like you, you always hope like when you meet people that you really resonate with, that like, you know, it, the feeling might be mutual. And Caroline has just been such a dear. <laughs> yeah. She's an amazing gal. I mean, yeah. I love her so much. And, you know, we always tell people because it's entirely true. We are as typecast as you can possibly be. <laughs> <laughs> I remember walking to set with her in the first year and she turned to me and she goes, Oh my God, you're a nerd. And I was like, Did you just now figure that out? Like I'm a total like bookworm nerd. People are like, what TV shows do you watch? I'm like, I'm reading a book by Louis. <laughs> None. Not really. Not very many. The news. That's yeah. It. You know. um, so we, uh, you know, but we still get such a huge kick out of each other and we're so blessed you know, Melissa, we're all just still really close. And, um, 
people often ask me because I do, I work a lot. I have a movie out right now called One True Loves in the theaters and I do a lot of Christmas movies and stuff for Lifetime and Hallmark. And, yeah. and I'm blessed, really blessed to be a busy gal. But people are always like, what's your favorite job you've ever done? And I'm like, the one that made young people happy all over the world. <laughs> that one, that one. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> no, no two ways about it. Um, so I want to hypothesize here that you're saying that like, People come up to you specifically at these conventions and cry and and open up. And if I'm making my best hypothesis, if there's other people who, you know, like if you think about who the show was geared towards and if you think about what TGIF was for, like, you know, it was giving young kids like an excitement to be home and be doing something that's not going to get them into trouble, you know, and, and it's entertaining and it's geared towards them, but it's also like got all the right messaging and all the right stuff. So, you know, like TV, at least for me as a nineties, early two thousands kid, it was like, um, a way to see like, okay, you know, things might be really crappy in my teenage life or (laughs) or my adolescence, but I have these characters that I can kind of like, you know, like at least Zelda's there every week and she's going to fix the problem. You know, like Hilda's there. Caroline was talking about how she was the unconditional love. And it feels like Zelda was kind of like, she was who you always went to when there was a problem and she fixed Mm -hmm. everything and she made everything right for Sabrina again. And she was the disciplinarian and maybe scolded Sabrina more, but she was also the one that like made everything better and always had the answers. So, you know, when you're growing up watching characters like that and they really, really speak to you and then you get to meet you in real life. And like, of course it's like, maybe for some people it's like, you were there for me as a kid, you yeah, know? <laughs> they feel that way very strongly, you know? Yeah. It's going to make me cry to tell you this story, but <laughs> I had a girl come up to me this last time, and she was clearly, she has autism, and uh, mm-hmm. she had a, headphones on and, and mm-hmm. dark glasses because the, there was too much stimulation around, and I yeah. recognized instantly that she was autistic, and so I, I kind of brought her into my arms, and we talked, and she, she can't speak, but she has a little type writer thing that she can type on says you know you were uh you meant the world to me when I was growing up and I was like oh that's so sweet and she said then she said you did a movie about a girl like me and I said that's right I did a movie called fly away and my sister who is a psychologist and specializes in working with girls like you she was the the consultant on the movie so it was very very meaningful to me and she typed out you have made my life livable. And I just started to cry. <laughs> yeah. The guy, the guy that was helping me is like on the walkie-talkie going, We need Kleenex and Beth Broderick's booth. We need Beth <laughs> <laughs> I was just weeping, you know. It was so it was so yeah. meaningful. Like, you know, for that, for somebody to make that statement to me, that makes everything worthwhile. You know, it makes uh because it's not an easy business. No one's going to tell you. I mean, I would be lying if I said, oh, every day is sunny in this business because it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, to hear something like that from somebody who really has had a lot of challenges in their lives, you know, just so meaningful to me. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's why representation and why letting, you know, 
telling stories from the point of view of the people who live the stories and letting actors who, um, you know, can draw from their own experience, you know, like letting queer actors play queer characters mm -hmm. and making sure that we're not always giving um, the roles to the same type of people over and over. That's how we do that in this work, um, achieve, you know, people being seen through art, you know, and it's why it's important to keep like striving to tell more diverse stories in, in arts and entertainment, because for so long, um, <laughs> the same stories get told over and over. And it's fine if you tell the same stories over and over, because there's only so many, but can we see them from some different perspectives? Yeah, different you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And what that was like for that person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I'm so, um, I'm so grateful. I think our industry is doing such a, a, a good job these days, you know, the Hallmark Channel is really trying to embrace diversity in all kinds of ways and having love stories that are queer and, you know, and, and yeah. beautiful and just as corny and lovely as the straight ones. And, you know, and yeah. that's, that's important, you know, because somebody out there is going to see that movie, some 14 year old who's afraid of what they're finding out about themselves is going to see that movie and feel like, okay, all right, there's a place for me in the world. It's going to be a yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line i talked with jenna lee green who played libby on the first few seasons of sabrina um i had her she was my first guest from sabrina the teenage witch because i kid you not beth when I first was, when they approached me about doing this podcast, we came up with a dream list of who we wanted and, uh, to have as guests. And I don't know, it was in the first 10 names I said, I said, I want to have Caroline Ray and Beth Broderick, Hilda and Zelda at some point on this podcast. Like, <laughs> Like you were in my first tier of people that I wanted to interview Aww. because the show had such an impact in the aunts specifically. Um, the the characters of the aunts just I I was one of those kids I was describing where I felt like I could um you know relate enough to uh the characters that I always felt comforted by Hilda and Zelda and um I was talking with Jenna Lee Green about, you know, like reclaimed words, like the word queer being a reclaimed word. And what I loved about Sabrina the Teenage Witch was freak was used against Sabrina a lot. And freak was used against me a lot. And to see someone being called a freak, but then she secretly has magic powers and her aunts know how cool she is. And it's like, she has this whole other life. And then, you know, I started doing drag at a young age. So I 
really resonated with this idea that like, sure, call me a freak at high school because I know what I've really got going on in my real life. I don't know. That kind of stuff sticks with you in life, you know? <laughs> I think so too. And I think there's a lot of us, you know, who uh, high school is not it. You know, high mm-hmm. school is not where we fit in. And that, yeah. you know, for a lot of us original humans, high school can be a trap. <laughs> And, um, you know, you get into college and you're like, ah, I mean, I, I was 15 when I was a senior in high school. So I was very yeah. skipped ahead and I had straight A's and I was allergic to the sun in the surf capital of the America in Huntington <laughs> Beach, right? So I had to go to the beach in a moo-moo with a big hat. Like, <laughs> not sexy, not cute. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I went away to acting school and, you know, it was just trying to survive while I was there. And then when I finally got to New York city, I was like, Oh my God, a whole city full of pale people who read. I was just so happy. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, I'm home. I have made it. Yeah. It was like <laughs> such a relief. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the story for a lot of queer people is like, you kind of go through the first stage of your life through uh, up through high school you know, kind of just getting by until you get to get out and go do what you know you were always meant to do. <laughs> um, I want to ask, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I had it. Oh, <laughs> um, do you, sorry, let me, I need to pull up the notes because I don't want to say <laughs> this wrong. Um, okay. Yes. So I, I think this is great segue. Um, you um, moved to New York, you were just saying, and uh, you were a founding member of Momentum, one of the first organizations in New York established to assist people with AIDS. I read that from the notes so that I could get it word perfect. <laughs> but if there was anything wrong about that statement, speak now. But um, was, tell I us. I think it was the second uh, AIDS program in the country. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that was uh, very early 80s. Um, and I started reading about this gay men's cancer, which is what it was mm. called then. They hadn't discovered the uh, the virus viral components yet. Yeah. And um, and there was a state senator in New York who was proposing a bill to quarantine all gay men. And I thought, well, that's not just an illness. This is a civil rights issue. And I better go yeah. down there. And so I went to the gay men's health crisis, which at the time was the size of one desk. There was one guy. That was the whole thing. There yeah. was one guy manning the desk. I think there were like three people total. And they were just trying to help people get, you know, social security benefits and stuff like that because it was such a devastating time. I mean, life expectancy from diagnosis was eight months tops. Yeah. And so there was a lot of, you know, panic uh, in, in the air and, uh, and, I went and I said, you know, I, I want to volunteer. And he did not take me seriously. And I said, he's because I was a woman. And I said, just write my name down, please. And take my yeah. phone number, young man. And you know, <laughs> and call, have someone call me. Because that, that's who I am in life. <laughs> yeah. I get this call from the guy who would become my partner, P- Peter Avitable. And he goes, are you a woman? Are you really a woman? I need a woman. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I'm really a woman. He goes, I need you so bad. Can you come help me? I got to serve dinner at St. John's in the village. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be there. So, I mean, I showed up 
And these guys came in and, you know, it was so devastating. I mean, they were covered with carposes. They were 90 yeah. pounds, six foot two. It was devastating. Walkers and canes. And then all these guys sat down. And I was like shocked because I really hadn't met anybody that had it yet. Yeah. Just had been reading about it. And I ran into the ladies room and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you get back out there and you give those boys whatever you've got. And so I went back out and I sat with each young man and held them and touched them. And it was so clear how desperately they needed a mother. And so many of them had been abandoned by their families. Um, Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's it. I have to stay. (laughs) Yeah. So we ended up starting this program called Momentum, which we provided meals and free grocery store and clothing stores because people change sizes drastically within 30 days. Nothing they had fit. Um, and, uh, and I did that for about five years of my life. And I don't regret a minute of it. I almost quit acting entirely. I think I did some voiceovers. I think I was the voice of Coppertone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow. But uh, it was a, an amazing time, devastating time. It really, literally, all but all but five of us um, passed away. There was yeah. only about five of us left that were there in the on the on the on the ground floor of the crisis, um, who remain in existence today. And so that was a lot to go through, but. You know, I also, I love to tell people I met more than my fair share of heroes during that yeah. time. There was a lot of negativity and a lot of brutality and this, a lot of the same stupidities we saw repeated with the, uh, with the COVID pandemic. It's a lot yeah. of the same stupidities, a lot of the same poor assumptions about how things are transmitted and whether or not people deserve to have it. And, you know, um, it was it was an incredible time, and I'm really grateful to have been there um, to be part of the solution. You know, it, there's a lot of trouble in the world, and uh, you can let that wear you down, and you can let that put you to bed, or you can be part of the solution. And, you know, as long as you're being part of the solution, you can handle all the trouble there is. You know? Yeah, that's very well put. Um... I've been, I, I, for years, I've just been boiling it down to, you know, with, with things going the way they are right now in our country and in the world, it really just all comes down to, are you being part of the solution? Are you being part of the problem? Mm -hmm. And I just try to, you know, in, in, in my life, I call mindfulness, just constantly asking myself, is this part of the problem or is this part of the solution (laughs) when it comes to writing jokes, when it comes to the work I'm creating, when it comes to the food I'm buying, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes you go like, well, I just have to have a a hot bath. I don't have water. Yeah. Like just a little. Well, yeah, you got to find your balance because then I'm also very real when I'm like, 
you know, I know it's the responsibility of every person to do their part. And then I also know that I'm one person and there's still like um, oil tankers dumping into the ocean and mm-hmm. those companies get away with that behavior or get bailed out from it, you know, because they lost money when they like poisoned the ocean. So right. there's a part of me that's like, I try to be the best I can be. And then also I, I ease up on myself and my own like individual guilt reminding myself myself that like, <laughs> you know, until we hold some CEOs accountable, right? like, uh, like I'm allowed a, a hot bath here and there, like you yeah, said. Exactly. Yeah. I but, mean, you know, we have to live our lives, but it is yeah. for me really important, you know, and, and like uh, people will complain about political, you know, landscape. And I'll say to them, what did you do today? Did you donate to a campaign? Did you make calls on behalf of somebody who's running for office that believes in the things that you believe in? What did you do about it today? Because if you didn't do anything about it today or yesterday or the day before, I don't want to hear you complain. Um, So earlier you said um, you and Caroline day one realized you were so typecast. what drew you to acting? Uh, you, you're you're talking about you're more of a reader. Um, you <laughs> you sound like an intellectual badass. Um, <laughs> what what drew you to acting, and um, how do you uh, like how does uh, acting and that world in the Hollywood arena how does that compare and contrast to your personal life? It's, you know, I am a little bit of a nerd and obviously like, (laughs) you know, I don't even go like, I'm not a big party gal or any of that. Uh, I love my wine. I like, I like a good glass of (laughs) Um, but I'm a cook, you know, I'm a reader. I'm a, I'm a writer. I have a column called uh, just my name, bethbroderick.substack.com, which I have a new column out today called The Deal With Real, which is talking about artificial uh, digital human and their use in the workplace so yeah i am that nerd I <laughs> cover to cover you know like that's who i am um but acting for me is something number one that i've always done i was doing community theater when i was a little kid um mm-hmm. my father was an actor he was a hospital administrator for a living but he he acted all throughout college and um and my mom was a painter so there was that kind of you know, making art and, and making, telling stories was part of both of my parents' lives um, in different ways. And so I think it just came naturally to me. I loved speech and debate. I loved being an actor. And my parents really wanted me to be a writer. And I kept telling them, uh, they don't, nobody gets paid to do that. There's no, no <laughs> actual pay. Like, we're going to spend a lot of money in college and then I'm going to college. That's what's going to happen. Um, So, you know, what's what's really lovely for me at this age is that I've had a wonderful, I'm so grateful for my acting career and for the fact that, you know, at my age, at 64 years old, they still let me outside of the house, you know, (laughs) because a lot of people are sitting home, you know, like, so I'm really grateful that they still let me come out to play. But, you know, with my column launched and uh, I'm working on a new project that's going to involve my cooking skills, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I feel like at this point in my life, I really everything I wanted to be when I grew up. 
and I don't know how many people can say that, and I'm so grateful that I can. You touched on a lot of things um, that Caroline brought up as well, and it makes perfect sense to me. You know, um, I don't know y'all. You just said you're 64. I never. <laughs> I don't think Caroline ever dropped her age, but I assume it's. No, she's not ever ball. going to. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, there was a time where it was just like, yeah, I uh, like uh, actresses over a certain age. You were either a character actor that like got used for little novelty moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of people in the last decade talk very candidly about how hard it's been for women in um, the the film and TV space, especially as they age. And then recently there's been this like just uptick in um you know, like we see Jennifer Coolidge living the best <laughs> life at in her 60s. And uh, um, there, you know, like there's conventions because people want to celebrate the 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 characters. Um, you know, like I would go to a convention to celebrate the female icons of the 90s. Totally. You know, like yeah, 90s yeah, God absolutely. sounds like right up you know, my alley. And I just did I did a Christmas movie for Hallmark last year called When I think of Christmas which I got to sing and everything in that movie and I had a love interest and Mm -hmm. a a handsome guy my age who I adored he's such a sweet man um um and I can't tell you how many women have come up to me and said oh my god we were so grateful to see you have a love interest and to see that he was handsome and the same age as you because I've been given love interests who were literally 30 years older than me like that (laughs) we were just like did anybody look at a picture of me before 90 year old gentleman to be my date because this doesn't really work yeah um but yeah so um uh uh yeah mark humphrey he's a lovely guy and and we had a wonderful time working together and and you know the director and i were talking about like this is really important thing to do is to mm-hmm. allow people to understand that women my age are still vital. They're still attractive. They're still, you know, um, lots of ways that they can operate in the world. It doesn't have to be like old, you know, spinster time. Right. Like, so, mm-hmm. because, you know, we, 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 we organize our society, uh, uh, you know, and, and at the at the top of the food chain is the couple, right? The king and queen mm-hmm. of the prom. The top of the food chain is the straight couple, right? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, that's the goal. Well, when you get to be my age, a whole lot of those couples have lost a spouse. Yeah. Um, and so we've organized this whole society in a way that doesn't work for 40% of people over 70 will live alone. So yeah. we have not organized our society in a way that that embraces that or, you know, responds. Are you saying that American society is not actually fair and equal for everyone <laughs> it contains? Uh, <laughs> oh, Ben. Um, <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, I don't want to presume too much. And this is just me making a swing. But I do know, I do know that queer people in many ways 
are the tastemakers. You know, like if you think about all of the support roles behind the scenes that are typically filled by queer people, Mm -hmm. um, from hair and makeup to styling to designing. And now, you know. We couldn't uh, do it without them. Yeah, absolutely. And for years, movies and television would not exist without queer people. Absolutely not. Absolutely. And for years, it was behind the scenes. And then now you've got a lot more openly queer actors and performers, as well as writers and directors and producers. And so I've got to assume that this, like, you know, and the backlash that the queer community is seeing right now, I think, is coming directly from a huge step forward we've made with progress in the last like five to 10 years. So naturally there's always like a, a a push forward and a push back with Mm -hmm. social issues. And we've seen it time and time again. So, I mean, that backlash we're experiencing, I think is a good indicator that we are also experiencing this like progressive renaissance of, uh, you know, queer arts and entertainment. And I think the two are definitely related, like the celebrating of the mature female, because that's who we love. That's who we resonate with, you know? (laughs) So the same tastemakers who are, are helping out behind the scenes are now also kind of calling the shots of what we want to watch and what we want to watch is the stories that have been suppressed for for decades and decades yeah well absolutely yeah. <laughs> and if you think about it stonewall which was sort of the 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 launch of the of the uh, gay gay movement um for you know freedom freedom from harassment freedom to be who the who 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 we are people people to be whoever they are that preceded the women's movement. So the two things are very tied together. There is closely yeah. you tied and, 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 and sort of the women's movement owes a great deal to the queer movement and, and vice versa. And vice versa. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So there's, um, you know, there's a huge kind of uh, kismet there and, mm-hmm. and all of us have been on each other's side for a very, very long time. And I think, yes, we want to see, you know, we want to see, mature women we want to see you know the the truth of their lives which is that most likely if they're single their best friend is a gay person you know (laughs) yeah that's the truth right i mean i have a lot of friends gay and straight but i have a lot of gay friends because i've been single for long periods of time in my life and they're the ones with the with the freedom to to roll with me right yeah so like those things uh uh, it's like Peter, you know, the first thing he said, are you really a woman? Like, you know, like, <laughs> we have, <laughs> yes, we have yeah. each other, you know, throughout history and, and hopefully we'll, we'll go on to keep promoting one another's causes and one another's viability and one another's value. Well, I, I, I loved talking to you about that because it's one of my favorite aspects of the um, show. It's a sin um that like you know oftentimes gets overlooked about the AIDS epidemic um is that it was uh the straight female friends and the lesbians taking you know because they weren't being affected in the same numbers as young gay men so it it was like exactly as you described um in lots of different parts of the world, mm-hmm. women stepping in to be moms 
to two young men who were disowned by their families and who were shunned by society. And that's just such a powerful thing. Um, And it just goes to show how powerful like that, like connection with a maternal figure is and why once again it doesn't matter how old you are if you're sick you want your mom i yeah passed away four years ago when i had covid i was like mom (laughs) Mom." you know i mean it's uh it just it's the human condition it's just the nature of of who we are and that was a element that was truly missing um I wrote a piece for the Huffington Post called Larry 1984 that kind of uh, chronicles that. And, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, I wrote a piece recently where I said something that echoes what you were saying. Um, and that is all of this ranting and raving and backlash is a testament of how far we've come. Like, yeah. you know, if you had told me in 1984 when people were, kicking me out of their restaurant for saying I work with people who have gay men's cancer or I work with people mm-hmm. who have AIDS going in to ask for a donation and then saying get out get out lady just get out you know if you had told me then that gay marriage would be legal that a black guy from Harvard would be the president of the United States for eight years running if you had told me any of that I would have said you were nuts, right? I would have said yeah. that's impossible. We're not. We're never going to get there. But here we are, and so there's been yeah. a backlash. There was an orange clown in the White House for a while. <laughs> like, yeah, that hasn't been so great. But um, but the truth is, we are marching forward. You know, as 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 a as human beings are marching forward. It doesn't seem like it. You know, because there's so much on the news and so much. Yeah. to our naked eye that feels wrong but we are making progress uh on this planet yeah i have friends constantly reminding me that you, though they are loud they are continuing to become more and more the minority they're just very very loud you know like um i think what i see from the younger generation is they see through the bullshit so easily, you know, it's kind of the double-edged sword of there are good aspects to social media, even though there are a lot of toxic aspects to social media. But I think one of the good aspects it is it, it it's trained our eye to see authenticity right away mm-hmm. and to see genuine, I, I don't know. It's because so many people like let you into aspects of their life you can see when they're being genuine and when they're bullshitting you, you know? Um, So I don't think young people, you know, like I was even just talking uh, uh, to someone recently about like, it used to be if a political scandal got out in the news, that was it for that politician. You know, they had to keep their image squeaky clean. Now politicians can do whatever the hell they want And their cult is so far behind them that no one holds them accountable for those things or no one changes their opinion. Um, So it's this this crazy time. (laughs) You know, the alternative facts um, Mm -hmm. that, that that are available. But I think that you're right. I think that most young people are seeing right through that and 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 they need to step up because. You know, old farts like me have been raising money and trying to get people elected for years and years and years and years. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, and, and I say this to my peers, you know, 
God love us. We try, but I don't know how to message to a, a 27 year old. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't. I, and I, you know, I, I like me a lot, but they need to be out there. We need them to be doing this work of yeah. reaching each other, motivating each other and getting each other to the polls. And yeah. I think, you know, I think we're going to start seeing uh, another kind of backlash. <laughs> and and that's going to be to all the gun violence and all the you know yeah. um prejudices that are being openly touted and spouted I, I, there will be a huge backlash to that and that's going to well, be it's planet. it's all part of the same yeah it's all part of the same thing and i do think you know i, I don't know i think especially the younger generations who are feeling frustrated, at least the people I know, the people I know who talk to me about it, who are feeling frustrated that they're inheriting a world that's so screwed up. And part of why it's so screwed up is because of complacency and because of manipulation and because of propaganda and stuff. And I don't know. I'm I'm 35. I'm in kind of like an in-between place right now and between different generations. And all I really feel is just very, very angry every time <laughs> another person tries to lie to me or tries to um, perpetuate uh, misinformation. So um, I know That's that- That's good. Young- anger is okay. <laughs> Yeah, anger, okay. anger is a, a motivation. You're in the right direction, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a logical response, you know. Yeah. But I'll tell you, like, there's a lot to be angry about, and there's a lot to worry about. But I can promise you that you're going to love being in your 40s, and you're going to love being, in your <laughs> yeah, you're gonna love being in your 60s. It's even better. It gets better and better and better and better. Life gets better with age, and that's not what they tell you. They tell you the opposite. They tell you, oh boy, you're going to be 60. Oh, yeah. it's fantastic to be 64. <laughs> I'm thrilled being the age that I am. I love okay. being this age and i'm looking forward to the next one 65 they give you presents you get medicare (laughs) i mean there's so much to look forward to for every single person listening to this you know no matter how frustrated you are or how sad you feel about some of the things that are going on in this world you can make it better you can show up on the right side of history and your life is going to be great One thing I just keep thinking about, though, that I want the younger listeners to hear and synthesize from this conversation is you're talking about things that happened, you know, extreme prejudice towards our community um, in 1984. That's not that long ago. That was three years before I was born. So anyone in my age group listening to this, like, you know, that was right before our generation. And though it's a very, very different world, you know, like um, it just wasn't that long ago that we did not have a fraction of the rights and freedoms that we have now. So that's why baseball bats looking for gay people to kill. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible time. So that's why I need everyone listening to take an active interest in these conversations. And I know how frustrating politics can be. And it feels like what's the point in getting involved at any level if they're just going to 
you know, go on. But the thing is, it's like, it's really like being an active participant in politics and voting for the things that are important to you is the best thing we can do at this point in time. I always say until the revolution, we got to keep voting, <laughs> voting the best way we can. So yeah, that's all you can do. Thank you so much for speaking on all of that, Beth. And I have some compulsory questions that I ask every guest. You can answer them however you feel. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. First question, who is your celebrity crush today? Ooh, my celebrity (laughs) crush today. Hmm. Mm Hmm. Hmm. Well... I don't know. I don't have that many celebrity crushes, but I have to, <laughs> I have to say, I, I think old George Clooney is a hot is a hottie still. <laughs> Wonderful, um, yeah, George Clooney. He's a hottie. He's my. Yeah, age. he's always been a hottie. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, next question for you is: Are you spiritual? I am. I, uh, you know, I, I converted to Catholicism quite late in life. Um, mm. although I was baptized as a Lutheran when we were running the AIDS program out of a Lutheran church and they asked me to join. And I said, well, I'm a little bit nervous about that. And they said, just walk by, we'll sprinkle you and call it a day. You're a Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do really, really enjoy the ritual of going to mass. I enjoy participating in the community that way. There's a lot of things about um, some of the liturgy that I have mm. a problem with um, and that I, you know, I tell people, you know, I, I, I take what, what is meaningful to me and I leave the rest. Yeah. Right? Nothing, no, no dogma is ever going to be perfect or suit your every thought or intellectual, you know, reality. But, but I do really find it um, moving and centering to to go to mass every yeah. once in a while. I don't go, I mean, I'm not like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a really bad Catholic. I was going to say, are you not religious it. about it? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I know, I, I really, everything you said is so exactly how I feel. I mean, I was raised, like I say, very loosely Catholic. And mm. the things that always resonated with the women in my life and with me was the rituals. And, and and I always joke about like, I mean, I, I self-identify as a practicing witch today, but, you know, so much of what I learned about what's useful about witchcraft or how it helps us in our day to day life was from the way that my mom and my grandma interacted with their Catholic practices like they made Catholicism really witchy <laughs> you know? yeah. like um and uh I, I i know so many people who have similar stories like that um so i think yeah one of my favorite things of sp- any spiritual practice is ritual and connection to community and if that's all you take from it or if that's the main thing you want to take from it that's a beautiful thing to take from it yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my final question for you is, uh, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh! Well, <laughs> I really have. Again, we're back to Nerdville. <laughs> not, not a um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if I get, I suppose if I, if I, I suppose if I did, I would sing me and Bobby McGee. 
Right? That is one of my go-to songs. No kidding. Okay, Beth, <laughs> if in a world, if in a, if in some version of this timeline, I get you out to a karaoke bar, you and I are doing me and Bobby McGee as a duet. And it. I'm making you that vow right now, Beth Broderick. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm there. <laughs> thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, my great it's, pleasure. It's really, honestly, such a dream come true. And I've always wanted the chance to tell you what a significant role you played in my life. And I've always wanted the chance to tell you how much I love you. And I've had these little, I even like, I was thinking about Bob King today and that that cardboard cutout of you. And I was like, <laughs> I wonder if I should have like tried harder to reach out to her then. And then by the time we'd be doing this podcast, no. I'm happy this is the way it happened. <laughs> I'm so, so happy to have met you. <laughs> so happy to have met you too. And you must ca- call us when you're in Los Angeles and we'll go out with Caroline and have a fun evening. Absolutely. You know, that. That's a no brainer. Um, uh, absolutely. <laughs> You've got tickets to Jinx Monsoon shows for the rest of your life. Oh, you want to come see the show when we come through this summer? Um, I'll you all absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day, Beth. All right, Thank sweetheart. you so much. You too. Call me anytime. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. Oh. Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.